Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. But I remember him coming as a, um, it would have been a 22-year-old, 21-year-old, um, yeah, yeah, um, 10 and a half years ago, and saying, I'd, I'd really like to work for the church. And it's like, well, we've got no money. I don't know how we can do it. And he said, there's a scheme that you can do with um, the government that if you apply, they'll pay half and you pay half for six months. And the idea that if you, you know, kind of if it works out, then, you know, kind of go. And I said, you know, kind of the acid test. It's like, well, you know, kind of come and show me the scheme and how it could work. And he's back in my office the next day, basically, and said, here's how it could work. Sign me up. And here, 10 years later, 10 and a half years later, uh, our youth pa- became our youth pastor, became our assistant pastor, became our associate pastor, and and has served, you know, kind of we talk about passionately, adventurously, and brilliantly, and I kind of think that's what we want to be as a church, and I can't think of someone who has been more passionate, adventurous, and brilliant for us and with us as we have served together. And so, Calv, before you speak today, we want to make a, a wee presentation, so come on up. This is Calvin, if you haven't met him. I'm sure you have. And so this is the toki or chisel. Um, it's, a, it's a symbol of mana or strength. You don't need to put it on because we're going to take it away from you for in a sec. Uh, <laughs> we, yeah, no, no, but we've got something else we want to do. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a symbol of courage. Uh, and it somehow symbolizes so much of what you've brought to our whanau, uh, brought to our team and brought to our church. Uh, there's not a person in this room for whom uh, you haven't been significant. And even, uh, we don't have our, our children in, but we obviously have our teenagers still in. But the opportunity to say thank you is uh, something that we will do, I guess, over a period of time. Um, Cal finishes really on Christmas Eve, but you know, kind of he's going going on beyond that. But it's just like today, was we felt like it was important to put the spotlight on him a little, let him share some of the things that God's put on his heart. But what we're going to do, just as the service goes on, is we're, we're just going to ask you, we're going to pass this around, and we're going to ask you to hold it for a moment, um, say a prayer, uh, bless it, and... Um, it will be our wairua, if you like, our Māori, um, that we are able to, to transmit, in a sense, and leave, you know, along with our DNA, along with our best wishes on this um, beautiful item. I think you'll, you'll be able to turn it over a bit yourself and see how beautiful it is and pass on something of the blessing of who and what Calvin is and has been. So why don't we, um, why don't we give him a hand? It's always good to start a sermon emotional, eh? <laughs> um, yeah, so um, if you are visiting this morning, uh, I'd just like to give you just a little bit of a context for, uh, I guess, a little bit of who I am and, and what I'm about and what's kind of been going on, because I, I have deeply loved um, working for the church. Um, I very early into, I mean, this church has been my, this, this is where I've come to know Christ. I, I became a, a Christian in this church at 17 years old. Um, 
And when I was about six months in, I, I, I felt really strongly called to ministry. And, um, and uh, that was a big shift for me. Uh, and for 10 years, I've so, I've so loved it, and I have hated it, and I have um, wrestled, with it, r- wrestled with it and told God, God he got the wrong guy and, and, and all that kind of jazz. Um, uh, but, but it has always been um, a, really, a really safe safe job for me um, and I've always found like a lot of joy in it and um, I just want to start just really start from a place of gratitude to say thank you to, to you as a church um, you have uh, afforded me the opportunity to to grow and to to learn um, I have worked out my theology at times in front of you um, <clears throat> And I am sure I have stretched and challenged yours as well. And that is the beautiful thing about community. Um, so I am so grateful for everything. Um, you as a church have afforded me. You've afforded me the opportunity to succeed. You've afforded me the opportunity to fail um, and to learn uh, in the process as well. Oh, seek. You guys can go. It was Vic's fault. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, while we're on the subject of gratitude, Vic and Fran, I want to thank you guys. Uh, you've been the closest thing possible to second parents for me. And uh, you've loved me at my darkest, and you've loved me at my brightest, and uh, it's been an immense privilege to learn from you. And... Uh, You have been such a safe pair of hands that, that, you know, I've said to Vic before, but I'm really convinced that, that there are so many things about the wider church that I've found really hard to come up against. Um, and were it not for you, uh, I don't know if I would still believe that the local church is the hope of the world. So, so thank you, Gus. Um, I'm not stopping ministry. Uh, for the last two years, I've been in transition, uh, developing chaplaincy uh, in the music industry. I've been working with, with the organization Parachute. Some of you will know it as the festival, but we don't, we don't do that anymore. Um, we, we have a bunch of studios and we're building community. And, and all of the great things that, that we experience in church, I now get to do um, in, in, a, in a music environment. And I get to support people in their creativity. Um, and, and wrestle with hard questions of, of life and faith and finance and mental health and, and all of the, the, the sort of ups and downs and the dynamic reality of life. And so it's been an immensely um, privileged thing. I wanted to um, call my sermon this morning Epilogue because when you write a conclusion, you make very final statements. You, you sort of say what is. But an epilogue, while it ties up some loose ends, it actually... It, 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 it leaves a hint of something more. There's, there's always a, there's a hint of a sequel. There's a hint of something extra um, still to come. And so for me, ministry doesn't, doesn't end this year. It, it, it just evolves and it takes on a different thing. I'm continuing to learn. I'm continuing to grow. I'm continuing to hone my craft. Um, I, I will still uh, look to participate and contribute to this community um, and, and preach when I can. But, uh, but yeah, there's a lot of, lot of change in the air at the moment. And so... Um, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's quite an interesting season. But once again, thank you, thank you all. Um, much love. And uh, yeah, 
I just want to take you through a few things. I spent a bit of time over the last few weeks going through uh, through my my Evernote. Uh, Evernote's like this online platform where you do all of your notes. And since 2011 uh, or 2010, every single one of my sermons I've, I've had on Evernote. So I just have uh, I've got hundreds of. Of, of sort of notes and sermons and everything just sort of stacked on there. And I was just kind of going through, just looking at the things that, that I've been speaking on over the years and, uh, and just was beginning to identify a couple of, uh, uh, I don't know, themes, uh, things that were coming through time and again, things that honestly have been uh, very personal to me, but also things that I feel like are very relevant um, to us as a community and to where the church is at um, as a whole. Um, I want to thank you so much for that gift like that. That's so beautiful. And um, you talk about sort of mana and authority and I, I'm, whatever, whatever sort of authority or mana or social equity or whatever it is I've earned over 10 years, it's like, man, this feels like a moment where I kind of get to like cash it in and say some things, you know, like, and so... Um, and so, yeah, so I'm just, I'm feeling really grateful to be able to, to go into that. Um, I, I just really want to go, go into, a, a deep into a couple of areas. I want to explore a little bit of, of uh, who we're called to be as humans. I want to explore some of the issues and challenges the modern Western church faces in our current cultural climate. And I want to look at the role of Christ in it all. It's not an exhaustive list. It doesn't really begin to sort of scratch the surface of, of my journey and the things I've, 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 you know, sort of been about and have grown in. Um, but, uh, but I hope, I hope, uh, I hope it will be meaningful and powerful and uh, special. So uh, why don't we pray and then we'll crack into it. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We turn. Uh, our attention and our affection towards you, and we ask that you would just come and be with us. Surround us with your aroha. Fill us with a deep sense of your grace and peace. And Lord, we pray that you would do a good work in us today, that you would stretch us and challenge us, that you would um, show us new things of your character. And we pray, Lord, that as we leave today, that we, that we might know you just a, just a little more than we did yesterday. Amen. So my dear church, I want to remind and encourage you today to be fully awakened to the reality that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you are a reflection of God's divine joy intended to reflect back at Him and toward all creation. One of the first things I got to do in my new job at Parachute was sit down with the development artists and, and basically give them a little theology lesson. And, uh, and the, first, the first thing that came to my mind was this whole thing of identity and purpose. Identity and purpose has been this thread that has run through um, everything I've done over the last 10 years. There is uh, a question that all of us bring when we come before God, and that question is this, who am I and what am I supposed to do? When I was a youth pastor, it's the question that young people would ask me all the time. Um, as a, a moving into sort of being an assistant pastor, an associate pastor, and as we sort of, as our young adults were sort of going through uni and, and uh, uh, you know, finding, finding people to love and getting engaged and then starting jobs for the first time, these are the kinds of conversations I would f find coming up time and time again. Who am I and what am I supposed to do? Um, it's a question that I've wrestled with deeply myself. Um, for the longest time, I felt like my identity was to be a pastor, and then my uh, purpose was to be a successful pastor. Um, 
And uh, I don't really know what any, either of those things really means, to be honest, um, because they were, they were actually not helpful things to, to, to put that kind of stock into. But here's the thing I want to say, that, that each and every one of you is a divine image bearer. You know, sometimes there are these weird little theological debates about like, well, are we naturally good or are we naturally bad? Stupid question. The answer is naturally good. So often we miss the first two chapters of the, of, of the book of scriptures. We go straight to the fall and we say, bang, that's, that's where our identity is. And it's no. Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, God declares that he will make man and woman in his image. There's a commandment that is issued uh, in, in Exodus to the Israelites as they are uh, escaping Egypt. You know, this is the whole context of Genesis. This is actually where Genesis comes from. You want to know the oldest text or the most important text in understanding Genesis is Exodus. People who have been enslaved for 400 years wrestling with who, who they are as they are liberated, as they are free. What does it mean to be free? Who am I? What is this, what is this all about? And so that's where the, the Genesis creation narrative becomes such an important part. God says, you are my divine image bearers. And in his commandments to them, there is a commandment that says, do not make false idols. It took me a long time to learn this, but do you know why that commandment is there? I think it's because of this. It's because we are already the idols of God. Every time we make a statue, every single time we set something up, we actually uh, uh, relinquish, uh, relinquish and suppress the call that God has put on humanity. We are the image bearers. That is what an idol is. The idea behind idols is that you would build a statue and then you would pray or do your ritual or whatever and the spirit of that God would inhabit that statue. But in the creation narrative, what does God do? He shapes out of dust the shape of humanity and what does he do? He breathes into it. Very deliberate imagery used to say that this is my image bearer. This is my dwelling place, not a stone statue or a wood statue or a golden calf or anything like that. Humanity. Humanity is the vessel that is indwelt with the Holy Spirit. So you are a divine image bearer. Each and every one of us is a divine image bearer. Those are hard things for us to hear, to hear that we are, I don't know, beautiful, good, special, breathed on by God, especially when everything in our cultural, uh, cultural moment sort of actually tells us that we're less than. No, you're not. You're a divine image bearer. And these divine image bearers that, that God sort of shapes, this humanity that he shapes, he gives a very special job in Genesis 1.28. He calls uh, humanity to have dominion over the earth. Dominion is a very, uh, very interesting word, right? But it's not talking about just ruling, just being the boss of. It is the concept of faithfully serving. So these divine image bearers, uh, in reflecting the divine joy of God back at God and to all of creation, are to serve and tend to the garden, to look after the garden, and to look after each other. This is like built into the fabric of humanity. So we want to talk about identity and purpose. We are in God, and our purpose is to love. So while I used to say, well... You know, I think I'm supposed to be a pastor. Well, you know, my identity is a pastor and my purpose is to be a successful one. Well, these days it's kind of like reduced and it's kind of gone down the, 
it's just, it's just gone lower and lower, kind of like a balsamic vinaigrette, and just reduced it to its lowest possible number. I think I would say now, I think I would say now that my identity is that I'm loved, and my purpose is to be a lover. I don't, I can't go any smaller than that. But it feels like that's where I'm at. And I would say the same thing to you. This is your vocational identity. It is out of this that we serve creation and all its inhabitants. It is out of this that we get to create. This is why I love being around music. We get to create. I get to be around creativity all the time. Uh, We get to serve. We get to create. And we get to participate within creation all to the glory of God. This is our vocational identity for each and every one of us. This is what it means to be loved and to be a lover. But here's the other thing. I have, I have firmly believed that identity and purpose is only f- ever fully actualized in the context of community. Only in relationship. Only in togetherness do we get to fully live out and discover what it means to truly function out of that identity and purpose. Um, Years ago when I was studying, I read this book called No Future Without Forgiveness, uh, written by Desmond Tutu. And he talks about this African concept of Ubuntu, which is essentially this, we are who we are through other people. It is only in the context of relationship and togetherness that we fully get to learn about who we are. And it is only in the context of relationship that other people get to flourish as well. Loneliness is not good for the human soul. There is no flourishing in loneliness. Community then is this thing that we need to look for. Community, as I look through all my old notes, has just come through time and time and time again. I've done a whole series on it. I've been completely captivated by it. The number of times I've read Acts 2, 42 to 47 in church over the last seven or eight years in particular um, has, been, uh, has been numerous, to say the least. But I also love in, uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians where, where Paul talks about uh, the body and this idea of, of the collective whole, Right? That, we, that when we are together, we are, we are more than what we are as individuals. There is this sense that within community, whatever our skills are, whatever our talents are, they are just functions that we bring to the table. So while I might, I might have used to have thought about being a pastor as being, oh, I get to come into something and then like make it all happen. Instead now it's like, no, there's just a particular set of you know, skills or whatever that I bring as a function to the community. In the same way, we all bring a function to the community. We are who we are through other people. In this, we call the best out of each other. We have others call the best out of us. We inspire and encourage and journey with each other towards the best, towards flourishing, towards health. And so what does that look like for you? What does it look like to bring the best of yourself to to the table? To the, to the community. What identity and purpose do you bring into the mix? What are you passionate about? What is God calling forward in you? I want to say this to our artists and our builders and our musicians and anyone who would label themselves a creative. We need your work to prophetically speak to us. We need your creativity. I say we like as Shawinigan Church, but we, the world, humanity, we need it. To the teachers, we need you to guide us, to educate us, to sit with us. We need you. 
to the business minds, to those of you who own your own businesses or, or, or work and understand structure, like we need, we need you to help us put systems in place. We need you to help us do things. We need you to help us fill out, I don't know, grants forms and stuff. You know, like we need what you have to bring. To the doctors, to the nurses, to the therapists, to the counselors, we need you to help keep us healthy because it is only out of a place of health that we truly flourish. We need, we need you. Whatever you love, whatever you do, whoever you are, we are richer for knowing you. We're richer for knowing you. And we're able, together we're able to equip each other and we're able to support each other. And so we're richer for knowing you and we're able to equip you and support you. That, that is community. Before I move on, on I want to make a really special mention. If you are a woman, we need your voice. I've learned in recent years that the you can do anything message that I received as a boy was not implicitly communicated in equal measure to women or even to people of color. That is something that I've had to wrap my head around. Oh, no, I, was al- I was always told that I could be anything I want. But implicitly, through culture, through society, we have, we have missed out on those things. And so I want to, I want to call to like, the women in our church, or to anyone in our church who, who uh, is Māori or, or Pacific Islander, like, we, need what you, we need your voice. Next year, if there is this little thing inside of you that says, man, I actually think I've got a message, I've got something, then, then I will work with you, or we will work with you, to get you up the front sharing these messages, because to be honest, I'm just another white dude, right? Man, we're all, where the sisters at with the amens? You know? I'm dead serious, eh? It's not good enough 10% of our sermons are women. No, it's not. 50% of the population, we need that. You know, we need need your voice. So special mention. Anything that has like, any sort of narrative that has existed in your life that has sort of said that you can't do this, man, I I just want to break that. I want to break it. Because I've been told my whole life that I could do whatever I want. And to every woman here and every person of color here, I want, like, we, we, we need your voice. And so, my dear church, I want to remind you and encourage you today to be fully awakened to the reality that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you are a reflection of God's divine joy intended to reflect back at Him and toward all creation. I want to remind you and encourage you of that today. And my dear church, I want to remind and encourage you today to be champions of unity, advocates of justice, and instruments of peace in a world that desperately needs that as an anchor. My biggest, this for me has been like my biggest pain point and the biggest wall that I've come up against over the last five or six years. But what I, but what I have seen is the pervasiveness of fear, division, and demonization of the other enter our society, and I am mortified that it has entered churches around the world. We must be champions of unity. 
Scripture teaches us that we, in, in Timothy, Paul says, we have not been given a spirit of fear, and yet fear is something that tends to creep in all the time, and we are seeing it across the board. We are seeing um, generational divide happen, right? Millennials and boomers, anyone? Right? Left and right, conservative, liberal, what, like whatever. It's like there's this incredible division that's coming through, and what ends up happening is, is out of fear, people end up demonizing the other. In fact, stripping other people of their humanity. It blows my mind, having studied church history, that Jesus somehow became the figurehead of capitalism and of any political system when so much of what Jesus did was to challenge the status quo. It blows my mind that people around the world think that because you follow Christ, you have to subscribe to supporting a, a particular political party. And I see Christians terrified of the day when, when the church and state separates. Guess what? The church existed for 500 years in its most flourishing period without it. In fact, the burden of empire began to completely dominate what Christianity was about. And for 1,500 years... It led to the complete oppression of people, achieving, in my opinion, the exact opposite of what Christianity set out to do. We do not have a spirit of fear. These are not things I'm saying at you. I'm just, these are my frustrations. These are the things that, 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 are, that have hurt me and, and, and as I've wrestled with. You know, the biblical narrative, like I mentioned before, starts with God liberating an oppressed people. That, that is what the story of Exodus is about. These people were oppressed in slavery, and he liberates them. And then the rest of the Old Testament, if you study it, it is about the cycle of oppression. Israel switching from being the oppressors to being the oppressed. And whenever they're oppressors, they're loving life, and they forget God. And then as soon as they're oppressed again, they're like, oh, God, where are you? Come and save me, you know? But God is in the business of liberation. And in fact, there is this tiny verse in Amos that no one really ever talks about, but it blows open a window to the kind of God that this God is. Amos 9.7 says this, Are you not like the Cushites? That's, that's children of Ethiopia. Are you not like the Cushites to me, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? Right? Are you not like those other people, Israel? All right. Did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt and then now another people group and the Philistines from Kaptor and the Syrians from Kerr? Three other people groups, three other stories of God liberating people. We don't have those stories. Those have been lost in sort of history somewhere. But God has been liberating people. God sides with the oppressed, right? Regardless of their belief system, whatever. God is in the business of liberation. And we see that in the person of Jesus. This isn't something Jesus shies away from. We've just finished a Beatitudes series, right? And it's, it's been amazing. We've kind of, dove, you know, we dive into it and we kind of do this really great thing where we kind of go, okay, like, what does this teach me for this week? But let's not miss for one second what Jesus is talking about there, every person who is broken, who is hurting, who is poor, who is marginalized, that is where the kingdom of God is. That, those are the corners of society where God is looking to go.
and it's uncomfortable and it's gritty and it's dirty. And we need to, and you know, like we need to wrestle with that. Jesus doesn't just address it in the Beatitudes. 22, we have the, uh, Matthew 22, we have the parable of the feast, the doors being flung open to all of the marginalized. Come on in, come on in, have a feast. Or in Matthew 25, where Jesus says, you know, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. In other words, Jesus says, do you not recognize that I am in the heart of each and every person who is under oppression? These are not things I'm telling you off for. These are the things that I'm encouraging each and every one of us. We need to be advocates for this story. This is the thing we need to to kind of carry and be about. The need for justice in our system is rampant. And so we need to participate, we need to find ways of participating in that in an ongoing manner. We need to participate in, the, in, 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 in racial uh, restoration. We need to do something about this, this division between generations. We need to continue, I think, to make church a safe space for the LGBT community. We need to make sure church should be the safest place for any person in the world. Why are people damaged by church experiences? I've wrestled with that for 10 years. How do we do this? How do we, how do we, how do we, yeah, how do we do this? For me, Micah 6.8 has been a scripture that I've come back to time and time again. He has told you, oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God. What else does God require? You to say the three-step prayer? What else does the Lord require? There's no asterisk next to this piece of text. It's quite simple. Here's what I think it means. Do justice. I think that is is about advocating for what is fair and good and right and beautiful. To get involved. I can't believe the church is not at the forefront of like activism. That all through history, churches fought these things. You know, like, church, should, should, we should be at the forefront of this stuff. Once again, like, not at you guys, this is just, just my frustration, right? But we, justice, right? The justice of God. Let's find ways of doing justice. To love kindness. Here's a really simple thing. Always err on the side of compassion. If you're unsure what your theological stance is, if you're unsure what to do, you're unsure what you think of someone else, the way they're behaving, whatever, it's always best to err on the side of compassion, to err on the side of hospitality, to err on the side of love and grace. Good theology in action doesn't damage people. Of that I'm convinced. And finally, the Lord calls us to walk humbly. To me, well, you know, I spoke about humility just a few weeks ago as part of the Blessed series, but just in a simple way, uh, walking humbly with God is relinquishing the incessant need inside of us to be right and to be exclusive and to have it all together. It's a relinquishing of that. I think that is what it means to walk humbly, to submit to the simple act of knowing and loving. 
the simple act of knowing and loving. So my dear church, I want to remind you and encourage you today to be champions of unity, advocates of justice, and instruments of peace in a world that desperately needs that as an anchor. And my dear church, I want to remind and encourage you today to be apprentice to Christ, forever following with a heart open to learning new rhythms and embracing new ways of being ambassadors for the kingdom of God. And Paul, uh, in his writing uh, to the Colossians, he, he paints this picture of the centrality of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Right? He is the image of the invisible God. Not like God, he reveals God, reveals the nature and not just the attributes of God, but the essence of God. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That means first. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Man, I ten years ago or fifteen years ago, if you'd been like, what's the most important scripture? I might have said something like John three sixteen. For me now, it's like the picture of Christ, the image of Christ. Colossians one fifteen to twenty. That has to be that that like has to be it for me. It has to be about Jesus. Jesus is central to everything. You know, we can do the justice thing. We can go be divine image bearers. We can do all this sort of stuff. But we can't have the kingdom without the king. So for me to return to the centrality of Christ, that is what this thing's about. How do we do that? We have to enter the way. Jesus answered uh, in John 14, 16, Jesus says to his disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Eugene Peterson, uh, who was uh, you know, an amazing author and pastor for over 50 years, says this, The Jesus way, wedded to the Jesus truth, brings about the Jesus life. But Jesus as the truth gets far more attention than Jesus as the way. Jesus as the way is the most frequently evaded metaphor among Christians. Jesus is the way. That means we look to his life and we look to model ourselves after it. Jesus had these people following him called disciples, right? In Hebrew, the word is talmidim. The word talmidim also uh, translates to the word apprentice, which I feel like is a much more, I don't know, understandable word for us. We've sort of hyper-Christianized disciple and we've, we've just lost... You know, we've forgotten that apprentice is really just about entering into this learning process, you know. But the concept of being an apprentice of a rabbi was very simple. You would be with them, you would become like them, and then you would try and do what they did. So to be an apprentice of Christ is to be with Jesus, make time and space to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what he would do. John Mark Comer uh, says this, If you want to experience the life of Jesus... You have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. 
So many Christians are far too tired, far too busy, just like everyone else in the world. And we come to church and we're super inspired and we're like, yes, I love the message. I love the truth. Love it. Got a busy week. (laughs) Busy, busy, busy. Hurry, hurry. You know, we spoke about this earlier this year as well. In a tired and hurting and fatigued Christian world, this is what we need. We need to follow the way of Jesus. We need to be about it. We need to invest in it. We need to allow ourselves to to learn the unforced rhythms of grace and love, to move in the way that Jesus did, to make time to be with God, to be with the people we love, to rest, and then to go and to then like find joy and purpose as we, we put our hands to work and then come back to home and rest and be present to our families and to model something. One of my favorite early Christian writings was the letter to Diognetus. It's not in the Bible, but it's this uh, letter about how Christians were living in that day and age. And basically it was people watching how other Christians were living and they were going, my goodness, look at their life. It's phenomenal. It's literally someone going, they're amazing. We don't see those kind of letters anymore. Let's be the kind of people who are about the way of Jesus. Let's be stretched and challenged and, and, and live in that and learn about it and grow in it. We'll never be perfect at it. We're always apprentices. But let's be apprenticed to Christ. He is central to all. And so, my dear church, I want to remind and encourage you today to be apprenticed to Christ, forever following him with a heart open to learning new rhythms and embracing new ways of being ambassadors for the kingdom of God. Why don't you stand? I just want to invite you to close your eyes, and I'm just going to say a little, a little benediction of sorts. This can be my big sign-off. But just, just sit with it. What was, the thing I, what was the thing that I said that you liked least today? And by the way, I don't, pretty much don't have a job after this, so it's not like I can get fired. Inquire of the Spirit. Are you stretching me in this? Is, this? is this opening a door to something I haven't thought about? It's uncomfortable to be faced with some of that stuff. But I have been so blessed by this church. This church has been a place of grace. It has been a safe place for people who have come through our doors many times. And I've often said to people, I'm a, I'm a terrible evangelist. But I, I, think, I think over the last 10 years, I think I've done rehabilitative Christianity pretty good. You know? And my, my hope is that Shaw Vineyard would continue to be a really safe place for people. And I'll, I'll still be here trying to play my part in, in making it that. And I would love for you guys to be encouraged in that as well. And so as I say this benediction, just, just let the words move over you. So to each of you in my dear church, 
May you find deep peace in the realization that you are a divine image bearer, invited to participate creatively, passionately, and lovingly in God's story. May you know that you are not alone on this incredible journey. May you find a profound sense of purpose as you take to the task of work each day, whatever that looks like for you, in whatever context you are in. May you find the voice and the strength to speak to injustice and to cultivate relationship with those who are on the margins of society. May you recognize Christ in each person you encounter, regardless of who they are, what they do, or how they live. May you always err on the side of compassion, kindness, and radical generosity, even when you're uncertain and uncomfortable. May you fall in step with the king, the rabbi, and the friend, embracing the life of growing in the way of Jesus. May you, from his example and at the prompting of the Holy Spirit, learn to move in the unforced rhythms of grace and love. And may you know and recognize the leading of God more today than you did yesterday and more tomorrow than you did today. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.